professional or amateur athlete is injured, time to treatment is critical. That's why more tri-state schools and coaches trust the trainers and doctors of Beacon Orthopedics. In fact, more than 30 high schools, club, college, and pro teams choose Beacon Orthopedics as their official medical providers. On the sidelines and in the operating room, we get athletes back in the game safely and quickly with comprehensive sports medicine care. At Beacon Orthopedics, we care for the pros, student-athletes, and weekend warriors every day. Welcome into another episode of the WCPO High School Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dyer. Pleased to be joined this morning by OHSA Executive Director Jerry Snodgrass, joining us from his office in Columbus uh, right before the work session for the OHSA Board of Directors. And uh, Jerry, thanks for taking a few minutes. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's always a, a great opportunity to, you know, sometimes clear the air on things. And I appreciate really the uh, uh, candidness at which you ask questions and we, we give it to our listeners. Well, I appreciate your time as always, Jerry. And uh, this High School Insider podcast is presented by our local Chick-fil-A restaurants where the winning play is always chicken. Download the app for extra points. Let's just get right to it here. Uh, it's been a busy summer, a lot of news. Um, and as we start another school year, obviously uh, you have one year uh, of, of uh, experience as the executive director. So I want to ask you a little bit more about that. But uh, I guess just uh, right at the top, uh, how would you define a, a successful year for the OHSA uh, this upcoming uh, school year? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because uh, I, I'm a big believer that we do need to celebrate, you know, the, the things that we do very well and to celebrate the successes. I went over that with uh, our board at a summer meeting uh, on several things like that. But I think there are so many things behind the scenes that do occur. Um, you know, how well we've handled, um, you know, some of our court cases and unfortunately a growing thing, some reorganization in our staff. And ultimately, the two major goals I had going into this were to tell our story better. And Mike, you, you play a key role in that. And I do feel that we've done a lot to tell our story better, to eliminate a lot of the confusion, to eliminate a lot of the arguing. And secondly, the goal uh, was to make us more efficient so we can serve our schools better. We actually embarked on strategic planning over the summer. And I'm proud as can be to say that what came out of that starts with a mission statement and the words starting in that mission statement are to serve. And I think, you know, a directional change. And I'm not saying that we were bad in either route of that or either format of that, but I think we needed to take that to another level and refocus and uh, kind of hit the reset button and do that again. So I feel very good about those two things. And I think many of our successes throughout the year fall into those two things. You mentioned to me in April, Jerry, that your first 100 days last fall, you really wanted to slow things down there at the OHSA and just, just make sure everything was right in, in, in your uh, mindset as you uh, approach the job. And looking at it a year later, um, what is your approach now that we're into August of, of 2019 and, and things have uh, obviously have progressed the way they have over, over the course of a year? I'm very glad that you remember that because I will actually address that by saying, you know, slowing things down, I wanted to do that in the first 100 days, has probably been my biggest challenge. Um, I, you know, when I say uncover, I don't mean it in a bad way and not in a non-transparent way. It's just that there are so many things that, you know, we, I often use this example, you know, that we oftentimes try to land on Mars without having the rocket built. And 
And that's something that we really had to retool and refocus on. And before we put any regulation in front of our members, coaches, anybody to vote upon, we've got to think out every scenario, good and bad. And that's the part about slowing down. Sometimes it takes a little longer to get something done, but at least we're thinking it out better and not necessarily taking longer, but more in-depth and, I hate to say it, but working a little bit harder to get it done in a timely manner. You mentioned the town hall meetings and communicating the OHSA's mission and making the public understand the the components of high school sports here in the state of Ohio. How do you plan to implement those uh, for this upcoming school year? And interestingly enough, we were working on that just the other day (laughs) and looking, targeting different areas of the state um, and timing. I'm not necessarily going to do them all in the fall. Uh, I know at least one or two I have targeted to do in January. Kind of a there's kind of a slow time in January where winter sports are underway and kind of waiting for the tournament. So there's you know, a lot of time and room where people have a little bit more time on their hands. But I'm trying to target um, high-profile areas. In other words, areas that uh, people sometimes um, really attack us. And they often attack us for, I'll say the wrong reasons, because it's misinformation. And I know that I put myself out there. But I have no problem doing that. I, I'm respectful of the fact that people disagree with things, but I think if they understand a little bit more as to why and how it gets implemented, I, I think that goes a long way to supporting the ultimate goal, and that is you know, what we do for our student-athletes. Uh, so I'm looking at different areas of the state. I'm looking at uh, people that really can get people to the meeting, and it's, it's really designed for uh, community members around the state. So... Um, in the evening. So, you know, kind of in the planning process of that right now. I've got two or three uh, right now that I'm just looking at dates, one over in Martins Ferry, one over in uh, Versailles, uh, and I'm looking at some other areas, one up in Lima, uh, one up in the Northeast. So we'll get them all planned. I mentioned there was a lot of news this summer, obviously not necessarily maybe what the OHSA wanted to to uh, to encounter or deal with, but uh, plenty of attention on House Bill 166, and people can read up about that. There was a OHSA press release earlier this week about how that affects uh, components of the the bylaws uh, and transfers and increased op- uh, participation opportunities for students with uh, an F1 visa, and also the current GCO co-ed lawsuit uh, regarding competitive balance against the OHSA. But I guess just bigger picture question, Jerry, what have you learned from both of those scenarios and um, how can you uh, apply that going forward? You know, really in both cases to some degree, you know, we can say that, you know, the state legislature getting involved in our business, that, that sounds kind of bad, I think, when I say that. I think ultimately in both cases, um, it goes right along with the part of telling our story better. Um, and that sometimes people want to make a rule because they think we won't do it. But we do have a democratic process, and I think it's incumbent upon me, and again, this goes back to telling our story better, that if we have a regulation that needs to be changed, if we have something that the members don't like, we have a very, very open way in which our schools can propose those rule changes. And if the membership votes to adopt it, even if I didn't agree with it, we accept it. And I think that's very persistent. I'm not sure we've done a great job of communicating to people that that's how we operate and that's what we do. And I think we really need to do that, and I think it will settle some of that stuff down a little bit. 
Jerry, I want to remind everybody that this High School Insider podcast was presented by our local Chick-fil-A restaurants where the play of the game is always chicken. Try their grilled chicken nuggets with some Chick-fil-A sauce today. What, what reaction has your office received? Uh, there was some news last week about the um, state football finals, kind of kind of switching gears here a little bit, Jerry, but uh, the state football finals are going to have instant replay uh, for this upcoming season in Canton in December. Um, has your office received any reaction to that? And, and obviously there's been a lot of discussion about not only that football tournament regulation, but also also the 40-second clock. Just wondering if, if anything's come across your table regarding both of those. Oddly enough, we have had not very much about the 40-second clock. The um, instant replay, um, I, I will tell you, me, this is a good example of this. I am dead set against that. I am so dead set against instant replay, video replay. However, it is a National Federation rule that we're allowed to put in and as the tournament series only at the tournament level. And, you know, given and that's going to be a big message that we have to give, you know, because somebody's going to be screaming, why aren't we doing it at the first round of playoffs uh, at the regional quarterfinals? And, you know, it's because it's the consistency. It's just not possible. You know, we have some sites that host games in those first rounds, but, you know, having multiple cameras with replay just is not an option. So you can't do it at one place and do it at another. But uh, we studied it. We studied what we thought was the best thing we could do. We did the exact same thing a few years ago when they did put National Federation-wise instant replay in in basketball at the state tournament level. And as you know, we use it for, you know, just the final shot of a game, whether it's a two or three, and whether it's good. And that actually came out of uh, us because of the Lakota West basketball situation several years back. But nonetheless, um, that is, uh, uh, you know, it's something we've thought out. Uh, I've not had very much feedback on it. I think the feedback will come more from the standpoint of, why aren't we doing it at first round? Why aren't we doing it at second round? And it'll be exaggerated even more when there's a controversial call. And I know that. Is that your opposition, just that you can't implement it at all levels? Or is there something beyond that as far as your opposition goes? I think my opposition as a personal individual on this is that I think it was highlighted last year when it came to the uh, uh, was it the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the Saints. Sure. And now, of course, the NFL is putting in something relative to pass interference. I think what happens with that is you, you steer people to believe that every single play and every single call should be reviewed. And to some degree, I, I even wonder about that, saying, you know, I'm a former coach, and we always used to preach to our kids, hey, you know, that basket you give up in, in the second quarter is just as critical as that one you give up in the fourth quarter. So it's kind of hard to say that, you know, this call at the end of the game is that much more important than one made earlier in the game. So I just think it opens the door to too much. Speaking of football, I always get this question. Um, is there any update regarding the state football final site beyond this December at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium there in Canton? Well, you know, uh, not to make a long story of this when I say this, but one of the biggest challenges, one of the other challenges I faced, you know, in, in this job, is the number of uh, site contracts for state finals in various sports uh, that were either not agreed upon or not settled. A good case in point was baseball. Uh, we played baseball in Akron this year, this past year, and we'll be again next year. After that, I do not know where we will be. Uh, our state, uh, con- our contract with the Schottenstein Center. Uh, expires, I believe, at the end of this year. So 
some of those things are unsettled. Now, what that does is what people, and, and you know this as well as anyone, people challenge this stuff and don't realize that, hey, not every place wants our event. Right. You know, and if sometimes when they want it, uh, it's simply not affordable. We are a business, and we have to make business decisions. And that's kind of where we're at in the football realm of things, you know, as to who wants it, but at the same time, who can also make it, you know, financially worthwhile to us. And I do not hide behind that. Um, you know, as a nonprofit organization, uh, it has to be financially sound for us to make a decision to go someplace, um, you know, even considering you know, if we put that in the wrong place and we can't get attendance there because of where it's located. So there are so many factors. And that's the long way, which I said I wouldn't do, but that's the long way of saying that at this point right now, we're exploring several different options for football for after this year. What about in girls basketball as far as the March 2020 state tournament venue? And then that's a great question, too, because uh, we now, and that's a good example with in the case of Ohio State University, that really can no longer make the shot team center available to us when we need it. So if they can't, you know, who am I to force them? Um, you know, and I, I, you know, it's expensive to keep the doors of the shot team center open for one day of an event, um, and they're not going to lose money on that. So if we can't, you know, bolster enough attendance to make a financially solvent for them, also, uh, we're challenged. With that, um, we have conflicts this year because the only week we had available to girls basketball and wrestling was the same weekend. Wrestling has to be uh, the shot scene center uh, because it's the only place that can hold uh, 10 mats. And two, we are looking at one arena, uh, the uh, uh, name escapes me here all of a sudden, uh, that Ohio State has just opened. Covelli Center. Uh, Covelli Center, yes. We are still looking at that uh, and its availability, and we're also looking at St. John Arena. Um, that actually becomes an option now uh, because of the building of the Cavelli Center. So um, all the events that were in St. John prior to this uh, were wrestling, uh, volleyball, some other things. Those are now moving to the Cavelli Center. A third wrinkle of that is that there's zero parking at St. John Arena, and I do mean zero, during school time. So it would have to line up with spring break uh, for Ohio State in order for us to even consider using it or let it, having them let us use it. And this year, it does open up that it is spring break uh, at St. John and with the Cavelli Center. So St. John may be available to us, and um, we're looking at those options. The other uh, unusual aspect of that is a lot of people do not realize this, but St. John Arena is controlled and operated by the athletic department of the Ohio State University. The Schottenstein Center is managed and overseen by a management group. It's owned by Ohio State University, but a separate management group, not, not the athletic department manages it. So we're dealing with two different entities here. And actually speaking, our contract is good through this year with the Schottenstein Center. It's just not available. So we have a lot of complications to this. So are you thinking maybe sometime later this fall, September, October, just for those girls basketball fans? Maybe I am very hopeful that we line up the next two years in both boys and girls literally within the next month by okay. the end of September. Gotcha. Is there any update on the boys' volleyball uh, sport situation and when that may be sanctioned? 
You know, and I'm a very eager person to get that uh, into our realm. Um, and I don't think there's any secret about that. I'm also respectful of the fact uh, we have to devise a system to uh, rate, register everything, boys volleyball officials. There is actually a different group. Um, there are a few different rule changes in boys than girls. So it's not that the, we can just use every girl's volleyball official, let alone for tournament assignments, we need to make certain that we're doing uh, the uh, officials' assignments for that, just like we do for other sports. So given that, we are working internally on the dynamics and the infrastructure of that. Uh, and I'm, I keep saying I'm hopeful every month that I can make that recommendation to the board that we adopt it, but I cannot do that. I just, I just in my own mind cannot do that until our officiating department, our area that works with our, we call it membership services, um, is all intact and ready to go with it. So I anticipate we will. I really do. I just am not ready to do it yet. We kind of touched on a few officiating uh, topics there just just uh, briefly, but I want to kind of leave you with this final question about the one of the hot button issues was the alarming shortage of officials in Ohio during this past school year. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of discussions about that. But what is the strategy for not only retaining some current officials, but maybe attracting new officials at all levels uh, when it comes to this school year? And I've, att- I've uh, challenged our officiating department with that very thing clear back in May uh, to devise a clear plan on what we're going to do and not just sit back and hope we get more officials and actually not just sit back and hope the economy tanks because a lot of people may not realize, but when the economy goes south, we actually gain more officials because it's a good part-time opportunity. So, you know, part of that plan uh, is to continue reaching out to schools. We are up to the fifties now of schools that are offering classes to get that young individual, but it does not stop there. We have to look at how uh, the cost for those young kids to become officials. We have to look at how we retain not just young officials, but even some older ones, and because we need them. But retaining them by our current methods of educating them um, sometimes are not the way younger people learn today. So I think we're looking at different ways rather than, you know, we require a lot of people don't realize too, Mike, that all officials have to attend five meetings throughout starting at the beginning of their season or prior to their season. So we actually do educate them every single year. The requirements are pretty tough, but looking at different alternative ways to still provide quality education, but make it a little bit more logistically feasible for them. So we have some things in mind and, and, uh, uh, we're going to do them in house, but uh, I'm confident we can at least have a plan to work forward. And a final thought, Jerry, as you get into this OHSA Board of Directors work session here, I appreciate all your time and perspective, but we have a, a local flavor, obviously being well represented there on the Board of Directors with Vice President Jan Wilking, the Athletic Director there at Wyoming, and then newly appointed uh, OHSA Board of Director Scott Kaufman, the longtime area athletic director who's now at Lakota West. Uh, what's it been like working with those two? Hey, it's awesome. And I, and I will tell you that Jan, actually both of them, but, you know, Jan brings a very, very unique perspective to our board, having a solid financial background. I believe I may speak out of term, but I think she was a CPA. Sure. And uh, so, you know, it's a very unique perspective. And a lot of people don't realize, too, that our elected board members were a nonprofit organization. And the number one responsibility of a nonprofit organization is fiscal and financial oversight. 
And so that's a very welcome thing uh, when it comes to transparency and all that. I'll say from another standpoint, it's a great honor uh, to serve on our board. Uh, they are elected members. Uh, they serve two-year terms, which we're actually going to look at. Uh, I think that's a very short turnaround for people. But um, that they do, I mean, our regulations do not get approved without those representatives giving their their uh, well-documented vote on those things, knowing full well that they are representing the schools in their area. Jerry, really appreciate your time. As always, thanks for fitting me in this morning, and I uh, hope you have a good rest of your day and rest of your week. Thank you, and uh, you know we're off to a great school year, a uh, great athletic year, and thank you for what you do. Uh, our kids, our schools, our coaches, I hope they realize the impact that you make that helps everyone. Thank you very much. I want to thank OHSA Executive Director Jerry Snodgrass for his time and perspective this morning. A reminder that we will have our WCPO High School Insider podcast at the Kenwood Town Center Chick-fil-A at 3 p.m. Thursday. We'll be joined by Sycamore Head Football Coach Scott Tatillo and Indian Hill Head Football Coach Tony Acuri. We'll talk to you soon.